BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. Back again for another journey. The journey thanks to BMG Partners. You're with Kev Poulton and also Andrew Houlihan, another local story which I can't wait to sink my teeth into. Thanks so much for joining me, Andrew. Thanks, Kev. Pleased to be here. We always start with ties to the area. Tell me a little bit about how you've come to become an Albury-Wodonga local and, and I guess your story of growing up and schooling and all the rest. Yeah, I went to Lavington Public School, so we lived in Lavington our whole life and then um, Murray High School. Left Murray High in year 10, um, did a apprenticeship, and then at 19 I started uh, my own business up, and that's led, just led me to be here for the past, yeah, 52 years. So, wow. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your business before we get onto the, the alter ego, the, yeah. the sportsman that's blossomed late in life, this is a fantastic story. Um, your trade and taking that to your business, what is it that you do? So I did a trade as a fitter and turner and then started up an engineering business. So we manufacture components for companies like Kellogg's and Nestle, um, export products all over the world. Uh, a lot of high-end CNC machining and plastic injection moulding. So we've had, I've had that business now for 34 years approximately, um, based in South Aubrey. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then you've also got another business with caravans. Yeah, my wife and I have a caravan business, Hands Caravan and RV Centre. So we've been in the caravan industry as well for about 15 years. Uh, we sell four different brands of caravans and... Um, yeah, again, that's right next to our engineering business in South Albury. Yeah, and so I know a lot of people that I've come across, if I mention your name, they sort of know of you but don't necessarily know you directly. But that's sort of changing later in life for you as you've become involved in, I don't even know what category you call it, but you essentially have raced a motorbike in the Dakar Rally. Yeah, it's uh, I've raced motorbikes for 15 years or so, um, and I got into the desert racing or the rally style of racing oh, three or four years ago. And I've just competed the Dakar Rally, which was um, the plan about 18 months ago to go to the Dakar and race. And I've been fortunate enough to be sort of traveling the world and racing bikes for the past two years. Mm. Um, your f- was it your first trip overseas where you were where you almost lost your life? Yeah, that was uh, our first attempt at rally racing because we'd been on motocross and track racing for f- 15 years and um, we decided to have a go at the rally racing with no experience whatsoever. Went to Greece to uh, the largest race in Europe, Hellas Rally, and um, unfortunately on the last day I had a quite a serious accident and spent a lot of time in hospital overseas and was flown back to Australia and um yeah but fortunately recovered from it all it's a pretty high risk sport isn't it it is there's not many events that i go in now where there's not a a death throughout the race or um at least some very serious accidents i know it uh, well fortunate well unfortunate this year at dakar there was one death but you know that's part and parcel of what happens you know you know when you put that helmet on in these events that um you're rolling a dice so let's go back to Greece for a minute. It's your first attempt at the rally race. You know it's a dangerous sport. 
How do you prepare yourself for that? And, and probably more importantly, your wife and your family. Well, we didn't really know how dangerous it was because racing motocross and enduro in Australia for 15 years, you know, I'd had a lot of bad injury, injuries, broken my back, my neck, and you know, just smashed my body to pieces. So we thought the rally racing would be a bit easier. And these are events over seven days. Um, so I went there with no preparation, not knowing what to expect. Um, yeah, and then on the very last day with 100 kilometres to go, I had a head-on uh, accident with a rider going the wrong way, which happens quite regularly in rallies because you're, you're navigating following a map. Um, so that was a bit of a wake-up call, um, you know, waking up in a hospital two days later, uh, not knowing what was, what was happening. So. Yeah, so that particular instance, if we can touch on that for a second, you have a head on. Is that a is that a blind crest or something in in the course that you, where you just suddenly find yourself in that situation, or yeah, an element of fatigue from either rider? Or no, we're in the mountains in uh, near Patras in Greece, and it was a, a blind corner in some pretty rugged terrain. Um, the other rider had made a mistake and was backtracking, doing all the right things, travelling at about twenty kilometres an hour. Um, I was coming the other way at about 120 around a, a, a bit of a sweeping blind corner and um, just hit him head on. Mm. Have you spoken to the rider? Did that rider survive? Yeah, yeah. He was flying back to Italy. Um, he was fortunate enough they could get him on a, a flight back to Italy, a, a low altitude flight. Um, and I've spoken, he's an, he lives in Israel, so I do speak to him regularly. We haven't met face to face yet, but um, his injuries weren't quite as bad as mine, but they were, were still fairly bad yeah. yeah are you looking we are you aiming to meet face to face one day yeah yeah we we speak about it uh, and hopefully he'll get the chance to be at dakar in 2022 or 23 and we can uh we can meet again there and so you've had a, a brush with death what did that do to you did it change your mindset did it change values what's it done yeah it was you know the that was one of the as so many good things come out of a bad bad things so um you know, i had four weeks in a greek hospital with horrendous conditions and um with my wife katie as my main carer for that period of time so that was uh that was a bit of a learning curve um yeah it's changed my out outlook on a lot of things especially um we, i was all and i think a lot of us are we're easy to judge other cultures and other people and religions and race but um being in a hospital room with six others and their families that don't speak English, uh, varying cultures and religions, um, really learn a lot from it. Yeah. yeah. Made you more tolerant, do you think? Much more tolerant and accepting, yeah. Yeah. And now, because I travel to Africa and Saudi Arabia and, and those types of countries, um, I just, yeah, I find the people so friendly. Um, and you, you, I don't even look at them and question or think about their race or religion now. mm how, how does your how does your wife feel when you put the helmet on? Yeah, she's used to it now. She's probably the biggest supporter I've got. So mm. after the accident in Greece, um, she just she dealt with everything perfectly. So she was she travels to the races as much as she can with me. She couldn't get to Dakar this year because of COVID, but she'll be with us next year. And um, yeah, she's she's a big supporter. Yeah. What's that goodbye like when you jump on a plane with a motorbike and you do know how dangerous it is? And, yeah. And you know she's going to be the other side of the world and you've yeah. just got across your fingers and toes. It's not 
not a pleasant feeling, especially this year going to Dakar with the kids and Katie at the airport. Was The airport was deserted. Um, I was getting on a plane with about 20 people to fly to the other side of the world into a race where you know there's going to be at least one or two deaths. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not a, not a nice feeling, but it's now I just look at it as it's a risk I, I'm prepared to take every time I get on the bike. Mm. Let's talk about being on the bike then. You know, we're talking about the, I guess, the surrounding conditions. When you get on there, what's what's in your mind? Are you just eternally focused on the task at hand? You, you don't even probably remember you're married to some degree for a period of time, I'd imagine. You, you, just... you don't. You switch off to everything in the outside world. You've got so many things on that bike to consider. The terrain, uh, the navigation systems on the bike, other riders, especially in Dakar where we've got trucks and cars flying passed us through sand dunes so you, you just forget about everything else um occasionally yeah I, I went past some bad accidents and uh, throughout the race and that sort of wakes you up a little bit and um, brings you back to reality mm-hmm. but within a couple of minutes you you've switched off again and you you just totally it's you in the desert and, and that's it is it a surreal feeling yeah you could say it is you you really don't understand what you've experienced until you know a few weeks or months after the race I'm, I'm still looking back at Dakar and even other races I've done in Africa and remembering little things that that happened that you just forget about throughout the race and then you realize how special they were yeah what about is there moments where you think geez that could have turned out worse oh heaps of times there's that, that many instances like that where you, you do have uh, life and death moments every day in these races you've just got to manage them and um yeah manage the risk and and a bit of hope you got a bit of luck on your side yeah we'll talk about injuries i think it's probably an appropriate time to segue towards that uh i know just before we've started recording this journey you've only just recently gone under the knife again um i've heard the fact that you you're almost like bionic man you've got that many bits and pieces added to to keep you afloat each day (laughs) um you've obviously broken some bones over the years talk us through some of that i think now i've I've broken well over 50 or 55 separate fractures um the surgery i had just had two weeks ago was surgery number 16 or 17 and i think now i've got 21 or 22 titanium pins and plates throughout my body so it's definitely been taxing. Most of this is all motorcycle related. Mm. Um, I've had both knees totally replaced. Um, so, but I still feel like I'm probably the fittest I've nearly ever been in my life. Mm. Uh, but the, yeah, the motorcycling side of things has definitely had a big hi- impact on my body. Um, the one thing, because I've, I've spoken to you a couple of times pre-Dakar and obviously now and and the one thing that amazes me each time and I'm sure other people feel the same when they meet you Andrew is just how blase almost you are about being injured being in pain going through surgery I mean I was having a chuckle just before we started this because you said you just a couple of days ago had the surgery on the ankle but the injuries from the Dakar race a couple of months ago yeah Talk through that one because you had an injured wrist as well, is that right? Yeah, I fractured my scaphoid on the third day in Dakar um, and we tried to keep that as quiet as we could for as long as possible with the risk of the Dakar finding out you've got a bad fracture, they put you out of the race. Uh, Then on day five, I got hit by quite a large rock from another car in the front of the ankle, um, which caused me a lot 
lot of grief and pain. Um, we only just got to the bottom of that and found out there was a Taylor Dome fracture in my ankle a couple of weeks ago. So I've been walking around with that since I got back from Dakar. This is the blase bit. Yeah. So you, you, your wrist distracted you from the problem in your ankle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think at all, this was a result of the accident in Greece. The injuries I had in Greece were uh, pretty much everything from my waist up was fractured. Um, I, I think 11 fractured ribs, punctured lung, fractured neck, sternum, collarbone, eye socket. Oh, the list list keeps going on mm. so um and i didn't have a, a great deal of care in the hospital the through no fault of the hospitals just the conditions mm. in greece were quite bad and i couldn't be moved to another hospital so i just had to uh, learn to deal with it and what was going on day day by day but the other patients in the room there were some in there in a much worse condition than me so the first couple of days you kind of laying there feeling a little bit sorry for yourself and then you realise you're not as life-threatening as my injuries were. I was starting to think, well, I'm really not that bad compared to some of these other poor guys. Perspective. Yeah. So that that opened up a whole new yeah perspective for me. Um, and that's when I realised, yes, you might be hurt, but it's really not that bad compared to how other people. So has it conditioned you? Has it conditioned you as in terms of a pain threshold, so to speak? Is it? I, I think it has, especially. Um, since that accident, and I've had some big accidents in some races overseas um, and f- had some fractures throughout races and just been able to carry on and know that I was, uh, I'd been in a bit of trouble but think I can get through you know, another four or five days like this and deal with, deal with it when I get back to Australia. And <laughs> so I had a year there before COVID. I was, I was overseas about six times racing, and every time I come back to Australia, um, I was straight into hospital for surgery or a repair and then um, away again. Sounds like a sensational way of living life. Eh? <laughs> but but it sounds, your, your kids, have they learnt strength from, from what you do, what you put yourself through? Yeah, you? especially back in Greece they did because my wife and I were away for... Uh, nearly eight weeks and the kids were back here by themselves um they weren't aware at the time how bad the injuries were we we didn't want them to find out how bad it was but i think they had a a fair idea what was going on um so yeah there that's i think it's conditioned them a little bit too my daughter's um ultra competitive like me she's sort of win at all costs and um it's it's, i the exam- I don't think I'm setting a real good example to her because she's not looking after her body like we'd like her to. She thinks a little injury, she shouldn't have to rest because Dad doesn't. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, How do you think other people would describe you, Andrew? Uh, look, I'd like to think they describe me as determined and, and competitive and quite focused, but I think sometimes I can come across, across as being abrupt and, and short only because because um, I, I I spend a lot of time overseas with our rally team and with other people that don't speak a lot of English, so um, we communicate in different ways. Um, and I can I'm fairly um, self isolated over here. I I don't socialise as much as I I probably should. So I keep to myself a little bit. Mm. That's obviously changed a little bit in the last twelve months since. Um, I've done Dakar and some big events over there. I've had to get out and, and be a little bit more exposed. Mm. Um, and 
I guess if you aren't working, knowing you've got a couple of businesses, I'd usually say to people, you know, what do you do with your spare time? I'm guessing this is this is it. Like this is the full time preparation outside of family, two businesses is. You know, we're only a couple of months post the uh, the previous Dakar. Are you about to start training again? Or? Yeah, so I've I have a new bike arriving next week, and then hopefully in another week after that, my ankle will be fine, and I'll I'll start training again, and that will consume um, between work and training. That will consume nearly every minute of of my day. Um, is I, it a I, hobby or is it a profession? Do you think? Well, it started off as a hobby. Yeah. Now it's become. Um, more of a, a profession. Uh, we've got sponsors that we've got to um, make sure are happy and, and that provide financial support for us to do this. So, um, yeah, we've got, I've got quite a obligation there to to make make things happen. And mm. um, who do you admire the most? Uh, it's an easy one. My wife, yeah. Katie. Um, you know, she's she's just stuck through unconditional support the whole way from um start to start to go even when we got i was flown back to saint vincent's from greece and we were in hospital there and that was where we sort of worked out where do we go from here and what what i was going to do and um she said she'd despite the accident she'd just had such a great time with the people we'd met and the support we'd had overseas that um she said, we'll continue doing this if you want. So, yeah. And she, and she went on my way um, and she's not with me. She's looking after both businesses and the kids. And, yeah, and she just takes everything in her stride so easily. Sounds like you've both discovered life's there to live. Yeah, it is. And the good thing now is with, you know, we, we're trying to get Katie in to do some racing overseas in, a, in Africa or, or Europe in a side-by-side buggy, a Dakar buggy. So she's uh, she's got a bit of the bug that I've got now too. <laughs> Great. Um, I'd imagine this might be one you'd answer from a business sense or maybe from your competitive sense. Through life, we all know it as you go through and get different experiences and different exposures to people. Maybe if you do more reading, you find great advice or great quotes. Is there anything that you sort of live by, a mantra each day? Uh, look, yeah, the one I've always live by and especially um since i've been doing the rally racing is uh i don't think something's worth doing if it's easy there's no i don't have i can't find that sense of accomplishment if um i do something and it's easy i've got to find things that are hard and and something that's nearly going to break me and i I think uh we had we made a movie or a documentary at dakar and I, i think i finished the documentary off with um, I've been looking for that thing in life that's going to break me, and and Dakar nearly did this year. So um, I'm always looking for something outside of the com- my comfort zone. Perfect place to live, really, isn't it? And um, what do you consider to be your biggest achievement in life so far? So far, I would say Dakar rally. Now, um, before that, it was obviously um, bringing up my kids and and the family that I've got. But finishing Dakar this year with one of the hardest Dakars I've ever had. And with COVID and all the hurdles we had to get there, I'd say that was, yeah, by far the, the biggest accomplishment so far. I reckon you've got a book in you. What do you how would you go writing one, do you Yeah, think? well, I've got um, a guy in Queensland that looks after all my social media and media stuff that's spoken to me about that. So that, that could be on the cards. Could be on the cards. Oh, yeah. exclusive. Yeah. Heard it here first. <laughs> um, we all have sliding door moments in life. We, you know... 
uh, things could change yep. um, rapidly, choices made and all yep. the rest. Have you had a few of those? Oh, I've had a few. Um, but the I think the only one that really sticks out is uh, the decision to when I got out of hospital when from St. Vincent's and I was in rehab after that accident was the decision to I, I could have taken that easy way out and said no you know that's enough of motorcycling it's almost killed me um, at your age yeah yeah pretty <laughs> much yeah but um then could probably say i considered it but it was yeah there's two ways i could have went mm. um and we decided to go back and continue on doing it yeah hey, what's made you i know you've gathered the attention of some pretty big names in motorsport not just your own yeah category but i know that you've been in conversations with some really impressive names you yep. don't you don't talk about it you don't boast about it but you've got their attention how do you think that's happened later in life for you like, uh, look at we've i've been lucky to be surrounded by um some great people and we put a lot of thought and effort into how we um try and attract sponsorship and we've had some good results racing in some of the biggest events in the world and um, just had the right people around me. Um, you know, guys like Brett Murray from Speed Cafe, um, and I've, I've had been introduced to the right people. But we've worked hard to to get um, to get my name out there and our our racing team. Mm. And obviously, we, you know, we've got a brand like Coca Cola behind us. So, you know, one of the biggest brands in the world that helps attract a bit of attention. Yeah, and so. Is this a dream? Like, is this something as a child you ever thought, when I grow up, I'm going to do that? Or No, not at all. It's uh, never thought that. You know, growing up as a kid, I was into basketball and things like that. And um, I always thought I'd be playing basketball until, you know, with, with my mates that I grew up playing basketball with. Um, and then, yeah, the meeting Katie was a bit of a push towards motorbikes somehow and yeah, now it is like I'm living a dream. When I look at where I've been and what I've done, and like you said, some of the people that I'm associating with or talking to or, or racing against, is it's, it really is a dream. Yeah. I, I sit at home going, is this really happening sometimes? Yeah. must be just so yeah. surreal on and off the bike. It must be. It is. If you stop and reflect on it. Especially, you know, I'm 52, so I'm at the the upper end of the scale. I, you know, guys like Toby Price and the, these guys are in their mid-30s. And um, mm. it's to be doing this at 52 at the end, of, or when you should be thinking about retiring. and Or already retired. Yeah, or already retired. It's, it's, it is like a dream. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm guessing you wouldn't ever take that for granted. No, not at all. Not at all. Like, like I said, I, I might sound like it's when I say you, you're rolling your dice every time you put that helmet on, or even when I'm training here in Australia, because I, I ride by myself, isolated all the time. Time I am quite calculated and um, planned about what I'm doing, so you can't take it for granted at all. Do you ever have any mates go? Let's all get our trail bikes and head up into the northeast somewhere we better not invite you you're too good or oh no i wouldn't no I, I, i've got a group of mates we go out into the desert here here with riding um i usually do my a lot of the time i'll do my own thing and meet them at the destination um do you beat them um they don't like to go the places i go or 
or the the distances I go in in a day. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll be there with the kettle on when yeah. you arrive. Yeah. <laughs> the, the esky. Yeah. Um, benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give a younger you? Oh, I wish I had looked after my body a little bit better when I was younger. Um, you know, I've had a lot of bad accidents in my later life, but I look at when I played a lot of basketball and and footy and cricket and especially basketball, and I just never. I I just went balls and all flat out hard at everything and if I was I was the same when I was younger if I was hurt I didn't really look after my body much so I wish I had have taken a bit bit more care young when I was younger would it have made the recovery easier well, now, I, I mightn't have two titanium knees yeah. now uh, I might have been able to delay that a little bit longer and <laughs> <laughs> um, what's it like when you get out of bed in the morning is it painful? Is it? I mean, you're probably accustomed to it and used to it now. But is there going to be long term? Yeah, look, it's problem? been it's there's been long term pain for a, a few years, you know, five or six years now. But mm. I, I think I'm just used to it. And um, when it gets to the point, I usually know it's bad when I've got to go and see my orthopedic surgeon. So can you <laughs> fix this? So I, I'm used to dealing with it. I, yeah, I, I think I've got, I'd like to be, you know, racing Dakar, all these events up until I'm close to 60, so, well, I've just got to try and manage my health a little bit better. That's it. Yeah. Well, we, we all hope that you yeah. can, you know, can chase what is now a current dream that yeah. you'd never um, had foresight to think it would be. Um, let's talk about 2020, because it was a different year for everybody. A lot of the theme that's come through in your interview is appreciation, that worldly, from what my observation... The worldly appreciation um, from exposure to different cultures and what have you, and, and just touring in general. Um, I think it's safe to say, so far with these journeys post COVID, because that's a time marker now, yep. <laughs> it's safe to say a lot of people go, you know, priorities have changed. We value things like family time and yep. things like that, and, and we try to make ourselves not as busy as we were. Um, did COVID have an impact, or did you think you'd already learnt a lot of the things that the rest of us are learning? Oh, no. I- I was still had a lot, or still got a lot to learn too. But um, the co- year with COVID twenty twenty was good because not only did it give me a chance to get a few more surgeries done while I was in Australia, but I spent a lot more time with the kids. Uh, and Katie and I had a lot more family time together, mm. so that was good. Um, but other than that, life didn't really change too much for me because, like I said, I'm a fair, fairly isolated sort of person anyway. So. Um, other than not being able to travel overseas to ride and, and train, uh, it did give me the benefit to spend more time with my family. And obviously prevented them joining you on your overseas. Yeah, well, that's time. right. Yeah. It, it did too, yeah. And what's surprised you about COVID? I think it surprised me. Um, it may sound a bit strange, but I, I thought people would be able to adapt a little bit better. Um and it may be because I've been exposed to so many different cultures and and maybe bad situations that didn't really didn't really throw my life into any sort of disorder other than not being able to travel and race. So um, yeah, in in our area, especially in Aubrey, I don't think it changed too much for for a lot of businesses and people. Well, we, we, were, we were very lucky, so um, it, it it didn't really bother me too much. It was interesting. Whilst the border closures, both of them, very inconvenient, catastrophic and dire impacts at different times to health yeah. services and businesses and yeah. what have you. But really, if you looked again with a perspective of someone like yourself, 
it probably wasn't that big a challenge for us to overcome, was it? No, and that's uh, I, I kind of look at every situation like that and think, you know, it's a little bit of discomfort and disorder for a short period of time. It's you know, we, eight months out of your life isn't isn't that long, but everybody um, reacts to situations differently, and um, I suppose that's just my perspective. Bit of mind over matter. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we learnt that from the pain. Yeah, and that, that's what I said. I, I always look at things. You know what? This isn't. You know, this isn't really that bad. It's mm. there's people in countries a lot worse off than us, or people in our own country a lot worse off mm. with um, situations that are uh, are not that good. So yeah, the old perspective goes a long way, doesn't yeah. it? And what does your new normal look like? Well, I don't really have a new normal. Like I said, uh, <laughs> my life hasn't sort of changed that much now. Um, I'm I, other than missing out on you know a lot of preparation last year for Dakar. My new normal this year is uh, I'll be able to prepare a lot. Um, hopefully, be back overseas within a few months racing and have a lot better preparation for Dakar 2022. Good. And we usually wrap up with a bit of fun stuff. Um, oldie but a goodie, if you were able to invite three other people to a dinner party, um, alive or dead, who would you have there oh. sitting at the table with you? Definitely have Michael Jordan. Oh. I've always been a big fan of Michael Jordan. Um, Mike Tyson. And just to throw a spanner in the works, I'd have Brett Murray or Crusher from Speed Cafe. Um, <laughs> I think... Be a heck of a conversation. I think he'd really stir the pot up with, was, with two guys like that. I was yeah. going to say, there'd be yeah. some very strong opinions, yeah. uh, some very strong yeah. ego. Uh, yeah. It'd be quite a conversation. Yeah, I think that'd be a, a, a good trio. Sounds like fun. Sweet or savoury when you're sitting uh, at the table? Definitely sweet. Yeah. yeah. Much to my nutritionist's disgust. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And... I guess you're probably going to answer this one because, you know, a lot of people when you say plans for the weekend, they're like, oh, we're going to a winery, we're doing this. You'll probably do it on your motorbike, is that right? No, well, like, because of the recent surgery, I've, uh, I'm off the bike for another couple of weeks, but I'm down, my wife and I are off the band style. I've got to do a, I've been doing a few Dakar presentation and talks to different groups and clubs, so I've got a talk to do in band style Saturday night. Excellent. Well, Andrew Hullahan, really appreciate you being part of the journey and sharing your story. I'm sure there's plenty more chapters to add to it. We look forward to the book when that does happen. (laughs) We look forward to that and and really appreciate your time once again. Thanks for listening to The Journey. At BMG Partners, they enable people to achieve their dreams. If listening to this conversation got you thinking about your journey and whether you're on track, they'd love to hear from you. Head to bmgpartners.com.au. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.